Are you satisfied with your understanding of sustainability? If not, like me, imagine a journey together, a pluralistic one, with innovators, startup, academia, NGO, all together looking for solution to the greatest challenge of our time. I'm Samuel Ettini, and this is the Sustainability Journey. So welcome to another episode. And today we are starting a journey from the month of November, trying to discuss the challenges and the opportunity of sustainability, especially in the month of COVID. And we do this as the first episode of the month with a guest that I'm really humbled to have here at the post that is accepted to be somebody that has been achieving accolades and awards, has been at the helm of international organization, and now is at the forefront and a change maker in innovation, sustainability, entrepreneurship, fostering change and advising government and funds to do that. It's a pleasure to have here Eric Solane. Thank you so much, Eric, for being here. Ah, thank you so much. I'm very excited to be invited uh, to your podcast. Thanks so much for inviting me. Eric, I know you have been an environmental minister in your home country, Norway. You have been at the helm of international organization. Can you tell us a bit about your journey and your background? I think my journey on the environment started in my childhood. I mean, we were going for walks, skiing, and walking in the, in the forest around Oslo. You, for those who have been to Oslo, you may know that 20 minutes from city center in all directions, you're out in the forest and you can go for nice walks. In the summer holidays, we spent up in the Norwegian mountains. I was chasing the cows there. Sometimes we can see a moose. We went fishing, even if we didn't get any real fish, but just some small ones. But it created this excitement and interest in nature. And number one issue of this century, that is uh, to create a sustainable future, to to protect nature and to get that new understanding of man and nature. Thank you so much, Eric. And starting really from your nature, you started your journey at the helm and of big organization and work. So I want to ask from your uh, many observatories, how do you see the problem now that we are faced, this unbalanced planet? We talk about tipping pole, we talk about many things. How do you see it? We have a triple environment crisis. I mean, pollution is uh, crippling many cities, particularly in the developing world. Climate change, everyone knows, is a major challenge. And of course, we are destroying nature by the day, cutting down rainforests or wiping out different animals. So the bad news is this triple crisis. The good news is that we have all the policies and all the money, all the technologies we need to solve this problem. Humanity has solved major problems in the past. I mean, look to the enormous development we have seen over the last two decades that have been the most successful in human history. Um, hundreds of millions of people have been brought out of poverty. Nearly all children in the world are now starting schooling. Uh, life expectancy is drastically increasing. So there's so much celebrate, there's so much good news to celebrate. But on the basis of the fact that we solved problem in the past, of course, we can also solve this triple environment crisis, which is the main challenge of the 21st century. You know, now we have been a many forum and discussion, and especially now we are starting the COP27 as one of the events that can be bringing together state to solve the problem. From your political experience, you know, you have been the minister, you have been working with the political leader and the leader of the world. Uh, the COP27 is bringing together 
again, the states. After the, the COP26, what we can expect from those political gatherings? Are they really solving the problems we have? The bad news is that nothing will happen in Sharm el Sheikh. There will be no progress whatsoever. Uh, the talks may be overwhelmed by the crisis in Ukraine. Uh, the relationship between the United States and China is poor, and that will dominate uh, quite a lot of the deliberations. But overall, diplomacy is not really delivering anything on major substance for uh, climate action. That's the bad news. <laughs> the good news is that this doesn't really matter because it's the decisions made by the political leaders and by business and the political economy which is driving climate action, not diplomacy. As an example, last year in Glasgow, only a few weeks before Glasgow, President Xi Jinping of China decided that China would stop all overseas coal investments. That is transforming the world because China will then invest massively in Africa and all other places, in solar, in wind, in hydropower, in green hydrogen, and stop the, the, the coal investments. So we, we should not focus so much on the dip diplomacy because that's having the world today, but it's the decisions made by President Xi, Prime Minister Modi of India, President Biden of the United States and the European Commission, the top political leaders of the world. And it's the decisions made by the captains of, of business, by Microsoft and Google in the United States, by Adani in, the, in India, by uh, Tencent uh, and Huawei in China. The main businesses of the world are now changing this planet in, in a positive direction. And I think also, as usual, the, the leaders and the, the industry, and also because of the call of custom and the work. So the, the subsequent question is how in this ecosystem, some scholars, they call it the art and governance ecosystems and work, how we can push even more for change. And I'm asking this, uh, especially regarding the big international organization and the forum. You have been at the helm of the OECD, you have been at the helm of UNEP, which are some insights, how this organization can really help to solve the problem. First of all, we need to change the complete thinking, the way we think about environment. I mean, the thinking in the 20th century was supposed that if you want to develop fast, there is a price to be paid, which is destruction of nature and a lot of pollution. And that was true in the 20th century because there was no way to rapid development without, without coal. Coal was the basis of development, first in the United Kingdom, later in Germany, France, the United States, Japan, Korea, finally China. So in the 20th century, if you really wanted to get rich, uh, there was a price to be paid on the environment. The 21st century is completely different because solar energy is now the cheapest anywhere in the world. If you move from coal into solar, I mean, you do good for Mother Earth, obviously. You do good for people's health, obviously. But you also do good for prosperity and jobs. You create many more and better jobs. And you save money on national budgets. If China and India stop importing oil and gas and base the development on solar and wind and hydro, well, they save a lot of money which can be uh, used for education and health. So from the win-lose perspective of the 20th century, 21st century is about all those policies which are win-win. Good for economy, good for ecology at the same time. And that's for the first time in human history that we have these win-win opportunities. And the role of international organizations like the UN and OECD and others should be to share experience. 
when China or India is doing something good, share that with Africa or share it with Europe. In Europe, still the arrogance and the United States, the arrogance is so horrible. Uh, the Americans and the Europeans believe that they are far ahead of anyone else when it comes to the environment. In reality, they are far behind. China is not dominating every single renewable technology. 82% of all solar panels in the world last year were made in China. 70% of all electric batteries in the world last year were made in China. If you buy an American car, a Tesla, well, chances very big the battery was made in China. That's half the value of the car. Uh, and India, the same Prime Minister Modi's driving change in India at a scale which we do not understand in Europe and America. Very soon, India will be the second biggest solar nation in the world after China. So the role of the UN and OECD should be to share this experience and to see something extraordinary happening someplace. Others can learn from it. And we can, of course, have mutual learning. China and India learning from Europe, Africa learning from China and India, etc., etc. Thank you so much, Eric. It's really this also the purpose of the posters, to share and have a very diverse view from the silos of the also fortress in the sustainability that and the moral primacy of the West and just to see the evolution and the change maker all over the world. And now I've seen you have been, you are helping governments. I've seen now the Sri Lanka government recently and now the Tamil Nadu government and then many companies to work towards sustainability and innovation. Can you share some impact stories uh, from your work? Let me just share one uh, astonishing example from the Indian state of Tamil Nadu. Tamil Nadu is one of the richest and most, uh, most fast-moving states in India. In Tamil Nadu, there is an electric scooter factory called Ola. They put up a huge factory for electric scooters in eight months' time. Everyone working uh, in, in the factory are women, 2,000 young women working here, high-tech. I mean, we are used to women working in the garment industries of the world, but the high-tech uh, factory um, making electrical scooters for India and the world, all are women. And very soon, Ola will make um, uh, electric batteries, they will make electric cars, and they have a slogan which I think is very fun. They says, say, Tesla for the West, Ola for the rest. <laughs> of course, they believe that they can make electric scooters and the uh, rickshaws and cars much cheaper uh, than we can do in Europe and, and North America. This is an astonishing example of how India is moving. Of course, you see innovation everywhere in the world. Uh, green hydrogen is now taking off as a new technology everywhere. It's from zero to, until believing we believe it will be 20% of the energy in, in the next um, decade. That can only happen through innovation, bringing the price down so that it will be, be a more, more uh, acceptable commodity price-wise um, in the world. But I see innovation, and of course, normally I have to say innovation is, is done by young people. Uh, young, and that's the young Indians who are running this Ola factory, which I, I just mentioned. About young people all over the world, some in small, uh, small companies, other in, in big, uh, scalable, uh, massive companies, are now dri driving innovation. Uh, and without innovation, we will not be able to solve uh, the problems, even if we already have the technologies we need, but they must be uh, improved upon. As an example, a Chinese company Huawei, it's one of the most high-tech companies in the world. They are using their high-tech to make solar factories much more efficient, 
uh, if you can make a solar plant 10 or 20 percent more efficient by high tech well create a lot more renewable energy and Hawaii is using its high tech also to help salmons in, in Norwegian rivers whales outside the coast of Ireland so high tech has a huge role to play also in the renewable future thank you so much Eric I cannot wait to see also the products of the company even here in, in Africa where there is a big need also and how to foster also innovation in our markets to have the electrification and, and the work. I'm sure, uh, as you say, entrepreneurship and innovation are the base. If you allow me to interrupt you, in fact, there is, there is an Indian uh, company which now claims to be the biggest uh, uh, electric scooter uh, company in India, no, sorry, in Africa. They have set up plants in Togo, in Benin, uh, they're expanding to Rwanda, to Cote d'Ivoire, and that's on basis that the, the driver of the, of the scooter is renting the scooter from the company, paying a small fee every day, and then they can rent a taxi, say in Cotonou or in Lomé. Because for a pure person, I mean, you, you save a lot of money if you go electric. If you buy an electric car in the 10-year horizon of the car, you save money. You, it's, not cost, it's not a cost, it's a saving. However, the upfront cost or buying an electric scooter or an electric car, maybe um, bigger, and that's that's a turn off for, for poor people. So if you cannot buy a scooter, but you can rent it for a very small fee every day uh, from this uh, this Indian company in, in Togo or Benin, lots of people can afford uh, this rent and then get a, uh, get a, a business as a taxi driver on an electric scooter. And it's a wonderful model. I can see also, I mean, the importance because here, say talking from kenya we move on with motorbikes so and then uh, if you can transform all of those motorbikes they clog sometimes our city and we blame them you know you're jumping and all the time also me jumping on this it will help a lot uh, the work and especially the creation and innovation and i want to ask you a question now again that touches the the core of our future and the core of our planet you know you are a bridge. You have done a wonderful uh, work from the West to the East, all over the world. You are a world leader. We read a lot about confrontation and blaming. I remember from my, my time, you know, when I was at COP26, the pointing finger, this country is bad, this is bad. How instead we can foster, instead of confrontation, cooperation, how we can foster peace, cooperation, from these biggest countries to really unlock the potential and the opportunities that sustainability can offer us. There is a saying in the old Indian scriptures 2,500 years ago in the so-called Vedas, it says, the whole universe is one family. And that is the attitude we, we need to take. Together, we can resolve any issue under the sun, whether it's environment or it's climate change or it's economic development, getting everyone out of poverty, whether it's health issues, peace, everything can be, can be resolved if we work together. If we allow people to split us and create um, confrontation, everything is so much more difficult. And I have to say a major obstacle to this is Western arrogance. In uh, Glasgow last year, someone, someone, uh, some NGOs, some political leaders, media were finger pointing to India, blaming India uh, for climate uh, change. Look, US emissions per capita up to today is 25 times Indian emissions per capita. 
still someone there to blame India for climate change. Uh, they also blame China, and of course the U.S. emissions per capita is about 10 times bigger than China also. So we should simply stop blaming developing countries for climate change. What we should do is to work very, very closely across the divide between the West and China and India and Africa to find joint solutions um, to the problem. And the good news is, of course, that India is, work, is, is working very, very hard uh, to, uh, to solve the climate problem, and the same is China doing they're not doing it for someone else. They're doing it because they know that India is more vulnerable to climate change than, than Europe. Uh, China is more vulnerable than the United States. So they're doing it for their own sake. And they're also doing it because they believe that they can capture markets. And uh, neither China nor India has a traditional car industry like, say, Toyota or, or Volkswagen or General Motors. So they, it, for them, it makes complete sense to go, go all out electric and to create the brands and the technologies for the electric revolution, because that's where they can be competitive. And sorry to say, both China and India are now highly competitive in all green technologies. And we in Europe and the United States of America, we simply need to get that early in the morning if you want to compete. Thank you so much, Eric, for this. And then I really see the Western arrogance and you know how superiority sometimes is blinded us. So we cannot teach lesson, but as you say in the scripture, it's really the togetherness and really solving the problem together. It's really a powerful insight and we often forget. I really want to thank you. I know you are extremely busy person, a change maker in the world and to come to the podcast, it's been a big honor. And But before closing, you usually ask, our guest to give the final message to our worldwide audience. I think the most important of all messages is that we should all mobilize our love for Mother Nature for, for Mother Earth. I and mean, everyone has that love for nature. If you are in Kenya, of course, you can see the enormous beauty of, of that land. No place in the world has so many big animals, whether lions or, or elephants or giraffes. But we are look to the beauty of nature and mobilize the law for that and some humbleness. We are one species in Mother Earth. We cannot destroy that planet. Uh, the planet cares for us, it's our mother. And if a little bit gen more gentle, a little bit more humble, uh, we will do much, much better in the 21st century. That's my message. Let's mobilize the law for nature and the humbleness for nature. Thank you so much, Eric, for this wonderful episode, an episode that really gave profound insights and we hope food for thoughts for, for people. And thank you for the wonderful job and the innovators and the industry that you are supporting. Thank you so much, Eric, for being in the podcast. Thank you. My pleasure. Are you satisfied after this wonderful episode? Let's continue together our sustainability journey.